there's nothing in the world quite like Rodeo Drive. I'm Bronwyn Cosgrave. Hello, and welcome to Rodeo Drive, the podcast. On today's show, the Summer 21 Travel Phenomenon. As cities all over the world open up, Beverly Hills and Rodeo Drive are welcoming back visitors. Find out what makes the Street of Dreams beloved both by its residents and by those that jet in for a vacation. Take the singer-songwriter Tam Tam. I loved how the street is so well put together and especially Rodeo Drive. Just window shopping is so much fun and it's kind of like seeing art. You'll also discover the secrets of the luxury hotels and trophy homes of Beverly Hills, plus the amazing story of the man who masterminded their style. These people were coming there with new money, new experience, new opportunity, and they needed a way to show that. And Paul Williams, because of his unique style, he fulfilled that for them. So he basically created Hollywood dreams for these Hollywood stars. You'll hear about Paul R. Williams. He was the black architect who broke the race barrier during Hollywood's golden age. Before we get to those stories, I'm going to give you an insider's tour of Beverly Hills and Rodeo Drive. Of course, it's a capital of high fashion, but it also has hidden gems. Geary's Beverly Hills is one of them. Geary's is the place to find Crystal by the likes of Baccarat and Lalique, as well as Lionel Richie's homeware line. The owner and proprietor, Tom Blumenthal, travels all over the world to pick out these things that are not readily available anywhere for both jewelry, homes, watches, things that are not at your local department store. Julie Wagner is CEO of the Beverly Hills Conference and Visitors Bureau. One that comes to mind for me is the cheese store of Beverly Hills. You know, he has, I think over 500 cheeses from all over the world. Here is where you find the best in artisanal food and craftsmanship. If you break the heel of your Manolos, no problem. The famed Arturos will fix that. I mean, when you're buying couture shoes and purses and things that cost quite a lot of money, you're buying keepsakes that you want to last a lifetime. And so... Arturo's became synonymous with protecting your investment, so to speak. The late Arturo Azinian founded the shop now run by his grandson, Ari. And yes, many visitors are drawn here simply by the mythology of Hollywood. Well, I think it's the association with Hollywood and all the celebrities and the secret VIP services brands can offer. That's make it an inspiring destination to visit. Luning Wang is a columnist for Financial Times China. A connection to um, these Hollywood celebrities like a bling and pear, so that's make the image. And let's not forget Pretty Woman, the blockbuster romantic comedy starring Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. I love the Beverly Wilshire Hotel because of Pretty Woman, too, <laughs> because that's where she stays. But during the pandemic, travel slowed, even to this place of dreams. 
The Beverly Hills Visitors Bureau had to get creative. They reached out online and offered reminders of the experiences here. We had the executive chef from the peninsula doing a video piece on how to create the peninsula tea in one's home. Uh, The Beverly Wilshire did a piece on creating the Pretty Woman cocktail. What is in the Pretty Woman cocktail? Oh my God, I forget there's a name of it, but it's basically chickpea juice. People are beginning to travel again, and Rodeo Drive is ready to welcome them back. One of the hosts is Kathy Gohari. She's president of the Rodeo Drive committee. I asked her what, in her view, the street and the city of Beverly Hills offer visitors. Well, first of all, it's beautiful. Let's face it. You know, we have one street, three blocks, every major global luxury brand. We have the legendary Beverly Hills Hotel on one side, the famed Beverly Wilshire on another, and it feels like such a community. It does not seem like a touristy destination. Even people who come from all over the world feel at home on Rodeo Drive. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is part of the charm of what we have to offer. Many people call it the street of dreams. Yeah, I kind of like that. It is the street of dreams. You know, when most people think about Beverly Hills, they think 90210, almost as though Beverly Hills is a royal kingdom. Can you Mm -hmm. explain how Beverly Hills really is a village at heart? Oh, my goodness. You know, I use this word a lot, a village, because most people know each other. They support each other. You walk on the streets and you say hello to each other. Everybody knows each other's name. And we are proud of that heritage. And again, it's history. And it is what makes Beverly Hills truly special. That's Kathy Gohari, president of the Rodeo Drive Committee. Now, there is one group who will be happy to be back. People who come to L.A. to cool down, especially come summer. Because in the summertime, it's really, really hot in Saudi. So people love to go to better climates, less heat. And Beverly Hills feels so good. And there's a breeze and it's warm and it's perfect. A lot of Saudis go to Beverly Hills. It's nice to see a part of home when I'm far away from home. Is it just the climate? No, it's not just the climate. I think it's a lot of things. I think it's the people. The people are so friendly, I think, in LA. And They love to drive around, and L.A. is such a great driving city, and Beverly Hills, too, and Rodeo Drive. You know, you always see cool cars and cool cool things happening there. This is the singer-songwriter Tam Tam. making waves with her music. Her lyrics are about humanity, reflecting her involvement with social issues. The music she writes mixes alternative R&B with pop. Tam Tam graced Vogue Arabia's June cover. She moved to L.A. when she was a teenager, 
We spoke to Tam Tam about her childhood, about the pull of Los Angeles, and how she has turned her experiences in Beverly Hills into songs. Yeah, so I grew up in Saudi Arabia in Riyadh, and um, I've, I've wanted to do music since I was a kid, and I always imagined, you know, everyone imagines the music industry in Los Angeles, because that's kind of the hub of music, and I would listen to Michael Jackson all the time, and, you know, music from the U.S., Britney Spears, and all of that, so I I always imagined being in Los Angeles and pursuing music, and so when I was 14, of course, I went to Beverly Hills, because that's... The first thing I thought about, at least when I thought of LA, was 902. I know <laughs> I loved how the street is so well put together, and especially Rodeo Drive. Just window shopping is so much fun, and it's kind of like seeing art. So it's, I just feel like in general, it's an inspiring street to walk down. Uh, I always love people watching. I know it sounds creepy, but <laughs> it's inspiring to just see what people are doing, how people are are with each other and um yeah that's why does that inspire your music people watching yes a lot actually there is a song i wrote because i was walking in beverly hills uh, and i saw an older man crossing the street with his cane and uh, we met like our eyes met and that song is called old soul so think for yourself And I wrote that because of that man. So, I mean, I always get inspired from seeing other people and observing and just imagining their stories and what they've been through. Tell us about the song Hollywood Know, which you wrote as a nod to your experience of being an independent artist in Los Angeles in the heart of the entertainment industry. Yeah, I really love that song. And I wrote it um, probably the second year that I was living in Los Angeles. It's hard, you know, being an independent artist at the beginning when you don't know anyone and you're trying to figure out this industry. And I remember I had a meeting with a music agent and the agent told me at the end of the meeting, they said, oh yeah, okay, great. Uh, We'll be in touch. And I never heard from them again. And so I was talking to some people about it that week and they were like, oh, you that's that's called the Hollywood no. And I was like, what do you mean? What's a Hollywood no? They said, it's when they tell you that they're going to reach out, but they never do. It's called, a, instead of saying no, they don't want to say no. They say, yeah, 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 we'll get back to you. And they never, you never hear from them again. <laughs> so I, I love the name, like, oh, Hollywood, no, that's, that's, that's so true. You know, that's so Hollywood, you know, for people to just act and pretend. <laughs> so that's why I wrote that song. I guess my music is very authentic and relatable to a lot of people. Like I have a song called Gender Game and it's about gender equality, which I wrote because I wanted to get into music as a Saudi woman and 
and nobody took me seriously and I had so many family and friends who would tell me not to do it and I felt that if I were a guy they wouldn't care or I wouldn't even care to ask anyone's opinion. So I wrote that song, Gender Game, and I remember for the music video, there was women from all over the world in that video mouthing the words to the song, and they all came up to me afterwards, and they all said how they relate to the song so much. And that taught me something really big, is that when one human is going through something, there are so many others who are going through it too. You know, we're all connected as human beings, so it's so important to speak your mind and speak your truth because other people are gonna feel that too and that's what I want to do with my music I want to connect people and I want to connect with people Tam Tam you grew up at a time in Saudi when American culture was not that accessible can you tell us how you accessed things like movies and pop songs Yeah, so actually, we didn't have a movie theater in Saudi at the time. Movie theaters just opened in 20, I think end of 2017 or or 2018. Mm -hmm. But there were always like DVD stores that we'd go to, um, especially in compounds, because there are a lot of actually Americans and people from the West in general who work in Saudi. They usually live in compounds, which are communities where it's kind of like, a little Western community where they have their own movie theater, they have their own um, supermarkets and stuff. So there's one compound that we used to go to, and it had a DVD store. So we used to go there and get our movies. I believe Pretty Woman features in your Beverly Hills Rodeo Drive narrative. Can you talk about that? Yes, I watched Pretty Woman um, before ever going to LA. And I remember I was really sort of inspired by her story and the narrative that went on there. You know, it was it's kind of funny how she went in the store and the lady didn't take her seriously because of what she was wearing. And it just kind of it humbles you, you know, in a way, but also it was just an inspiring movie to me, you know, how she kind of like she she chose to be confident and to own herself. And uh, when I first went to Rodeo Drive, I definitely retraced her steps, you know, and tried to figure out where that store was. It was cool. And I remember going in a store and seeing if the lady was going to be nice to me or not. Nice. You know, like the, the, the people working in those stores. So it's funny. Because you are such a Beverly Hills insider. You love Rodeo Drive. I just wanted you to talk about the hotels, both the Beverly Wilshire and the Beverly Hills Hotel and what they mean to you. Yeah, I love the Beverly Wilshire Hotel because of Pretty Woman, too, because that's where she stays. And I also think what's so special about the Beverly Hills Hotel is all the icons that stayed there. Because like Marilyn Monroe, I think she lived there at some point Mm -hmm. or she stayed there for a while in one of the cabanas. So it's just cool to feel, you know, like you're in Hollywood history. been listening to Tam Tam, the Saudi-born singer now based in LA. This is Rodeo Drive, the podcast. 
And yes, when you are in those classic hotels, the Beverly Wilshire and the Beverly Hills Hotel, you are luxuriating in Hollywood history. And it's one with an even more interesting backstory. Paul Williams gave it the look that it is now. He built the what we call the Crescent Wing, where it says the Beverly Hills. That's actually his handwriting. Look at the hotel. It's now that's where everybody wanted to stay. From Sinatra to Marilyn Monroe, please. That was number one. Once Hollywood discovered Paul Williams, he acquired a nickname: Architect to the Stars. Tyrone Power, Lucille Ball, Desi Arnaz, Cary Grant, Barbara Stanwyck. All the movie stars had Paul Williams houses. They're the most unique homes in the city. This commentary is from the PBS documentary Hollywood's Architect: The Paul R. Williams Story. Paul Williams was the architect to the stars during Hollywood's golden age. He also designed civic buildings, banks, schools, and churches. He worked on the design of the Los Angeles airport, LAX. He did all of this at a time when someone with his skin color was not welcome in many of the homes and leisure spots of white Los Angeles. Paul Williams was African American. He was born in downtown Los Angeles in the late 19th century. His parents had moved there from the Deep South. Both of them died from tuberculosis, leaving Williams an orphan. But he was reared by caring foster parents. His foster mother noticed he had a gift for drawing, and she encouraged him to pursue his dreams. Royal Kennedy Rogers and Kathy Vance produced and directed Hollywood's Architect. They pick up the story from here. He went to L.A. Polytechnic High School, and early in his career there, he happened to mention to a counselor. I'm thinking about pursuing architecture. And the counselor just abruptly came back with, whoever heard of a Negro architect? And he said, you are bright. You should be a doctor or a lawyer because your community will need those. And by the way, your community won't be able to afford architects and the uh, white community won't hire you. And instead of discouraging him, It gave him resolve. By 1921, Paul Williams became a licensed architect and launched into a dazzling career. He was known for his personal elegance, for exquisite draftsmanship, and an ability to design graceful buildings in a wide array of styles, both period revival and modern. He gave the client what they wanted— clients including the biggest stars in music and movies, like Frank Sinatra. Here's a clip from the documentary. Sinatra is describing his new Paul Williams home to the broadcaster, Edward R. Murrow. Tonight, Frank is seeing his finished two-bedroom Japanese modern house for the first time. How are you, Ed? Good. Well, this is the combination dressing room, Ed, and, and bedroom with my uh, unique-looking fireplace with the Chinese red. I'm sorry you can't see the colors. 
Sinatra's bedroom, by the way, featured a bed which, at the touch of a button, could roll outside. So how did Paul Williams' career path eventually lead to Beverly Hills? Royal and Kathy say timing was critical. It was the 1920s. L.A. was just exploding with growth. People were uh, coming to the city and buildings were going up everywhere. And it was a city that it wasn't perfect for African-Americans, but there was more opportunity than just about any place else in the country. Mm. And Hollywood played a part in that, too. How? Well, a lot of the Hollywood stars were coming from other places. And basically, Paul Williams was teaching Hollywood stars how to be stars. He taught Frank Sinatra how to be a movie star when he designed the Frank Sinatra home. Because these people were coming there basically with new money, new experience, new opportunity, and they needed a way to show that. And Paul Williams, because of his unique style and his ability to please the client and to do whatever the client wanted, he fulfilled that for them. So he basically created Hollywood dreams for these Hollywood stars. Mm. So Paul Williams designed, I think, about 2,000 private homes. Some of his most spectacular and interesting residences were found in Beverly Hills, and he worked on the interior of Saks Fifth Avenue, which, again, is another, it's a retail landmark of Beverly Hills. But the originals show salons that look like living rooms mm. where customers would come in, sit in lounge chairs, and the models would come and model uh, the various outfits. And you felt like you were in your home. And then there's that wonderful sweater bar, as they called it, <laughs> with the sweaters and the, the gorgeous glass cases. It had so much style. And there was one other thing that um, he did. He, always thinking about the client, he thought, well, what would the ladies like after a hard day of uh, shopping? And he put a tea room on the top floor nice, uh, where you could sit down, have a little lunch, a little bit of tea. In 1939, I think Williams also set to work on an expansive English-Georgian revival business headquarters for Jules Stein. Jules Stein was agent to the stars and a co-founder of Music Corporation of America. Can you tell us about this structure and why it remains? I mean, it's one of those landmarks in Beverly Hills. I always feel like I'm entering Beverly Hills when I drive past it. The story is that Joel Stein wanted a corporate headquarters, but he didn't want it to look like a corporate headquarters. He wanted it to look like a home. Mm. And they looked at several architects and they decided on Paul Williams. And it is true. It looks like a home when you pass it on the street. It looks like a, a colonial mansion. Mm. Paul Williams was not just known as architect to the stars. He was also known as renovator to the stars. Could you tell us about the great restorations of Beverly Hills landmarks that he conducted? One on the Beverly Beverly Hills Hotel in 1949, and another uh, around the same time in the 1940s on the Beverly Wilshire Hotel? The Beverly Hills Hotel was one of his signature renovations. He redesigned the Crescent Wing, the Polo Lounge, the Fountain Coffee Shop. It's his signature 
on the logo of the Beverly Hills Hotel. and That's amazing. Yeah, people sort of define Beverly Hills by that iconic signature. It's fascinating. And he really made the Beverly Hills Hotel into the style that it is still today, even though there have been some alterations to his his renovation, it really established the Beverly Hills Hotel as an iconic Hollywood landmark. The Beverly Wilshire was an apartment building, and he was hired to turn it into a hotel. And it's been a hotel ever since. Paul Williams restored iconic landmarks in Beverly Hills, like the Beverly Hills Hotel and the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. He designed the interiors of Saks Fifth Avenue Beverly Hills. He also designed movie star homes in neighborhoods where he himself would not be allowed to live because of his race. Here is his granddaughter, Karen Hudson, in the documentary. There's a point at which you say, no matter how good I am, this is 1920s America. I may not be accepted. So let me do the things that make sure that people accept me. One of the things Williams did was develop a drafting technique that made his white clients feel comfortable when they got to work with him. He understood that as a black man in a white setting, he was not necessarily welcome or particularly comfortable with his white clients at his side. Well, they were not comfortable with him. And so rather than discomfort his clients, he developed a technique of drawing upside down so that he could sketch a design very quickly upside down and they could sit at the other side of the table and see the quality of his work without having to feel compromised by sitting next to an African-American man. It was probably the most famous story about him and it became his calling card. And even later when clients you know, were uh, just fine with uh, sitting next to him, they would say, but we want you to do that thing where you draw upside down. <laughs> In some of his later speeches, he would reference the fact that he had to overcome certain challenges because of his race and that that was always a factor in every project that he did. He didn't seem bitter about it, but he was clearly aware of it. Let's face it, there were homes that he had to leave before dark that he designed because of sundown laws. And so you can't ignore that. That's got to be a part of your psyche at every moment. You've been listening to Royal Rogers and Kathy Vance talking about Paul Revere Williams and their documentary, Hollywood's Architect, the Paul R. Williams story. Paul Williams' life was full of contradictions. He faced numerous indignities as an African-American. He also reached the pinnacle of his profession. He went to the White House and was a member of President Dwight D. Eisenhower's National Housing Commission. He was lauded on national TV. Certainly want to thank you, uh, Paul Williams and Mrs. Williams, for uh, inviting Mrs. Van here. Thank you so much. Well, our thanks to the noted architect, Mr. Paul Williams, for helping us surprise you. And uh, Mr. Williams, we have to thank you for so many things.
But by the time of his death in 1980, he was largely forgotten. Now all of that has changed. His granddaughter, Karen Hudson, has worked tirelessly to raise awareness about the significance of William's architecture and his contribution to Los Angeles. In 2017, the American Institute of Architects awarded Paul Williams its highest honor, the AIA Gold Medal, posthumously. In 2020, the Getty Museum and the School of Architecture at the University of Southern California acquired Williams' substantial archive of drawings and plans. The documentary Hollywood's Architect, the Paul R. Williams Story, by our guests Royal Rogers and Kathy Vance, adds to the understanding of this gifted man. Find links to watch it on our website. Or take in Paul Williams' legacy by visiting some of the landmarks he created. Saks Fifth Avenue, the Beverly Wilshire, the Beverly Hills Hotel, and those glorious houses for Hollywood stars. I'm Bronwyn Cosgrave. Next time on Rodeo Drive, the podcast, Halston, House of Gucci, and Hollywood. There's so many brands out there, and they're all competing you know, for your attention, for your dollars. And it's the brands that are the most authentic and have the, the richest story, I think, that are going to be lasting. Rodeo Drive, the podcast, is presented by the Rodeo Drive Committee with the support of the city of Beverly Hills, the Heyman family, to Rodeo Drive, Geary's, and the Beverly Hills Conference and Visitors Bureau. Rodeo Drive, the podcast, is written by Francis Anderton with editing and audio production by Avishai Artsy. Brian Banks composed the theme music. Livia Mandul, Callie McConnell, and Scylla Genia are the production coordinators. The executive producer is Lynn Winter. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Share it with your friends. Join us on Instagram at Rodeo Drive. See you on the street. Thank you.